Welcome to Codex Rex. My name is Starks. I'm... <laughs> yes, this is a video game used to be podcast. <laughs> My name is Starks. This guy is called Vegan Tyler. He's telling me how to do the intro while we're trying to do the intro. <laughs> and um, this is a podcast about video game history. We talk about all kinds of... Um, video game history related information it might be video games and how they came to be or it might be a concept within the video game world it um really comes down to whoever prepares the episode and whatever they want to do with it yeah uh and i think one thing about our formatting is that one of us prepares an episode and the other one has no idea what we're going to talk about so Docs has prepared this week, this this episode, and I have no idea what we're going to talk about. Last episode, I mentioned I personally was starting a series on um, the fifth generation of consoles. That is on pause for now until it comes back around to me. Yeah, and while we are experiencing the 200 episode epos that Tyler <laughs> is engulfing us in, I have chosen to do some other stuff that like one-off one episodes that take place at about the same time, but also show weird parts of video game history that I have chosen um, this time that might not be known, especially to the American viewer. Maybe some people are interested. But first, let's talk about um, what's been going on in our lives. How's, how's things, Tyler? Well, in my personal life, I'm coming in on the end of my dissertation, so I've been very busy. Thank you for taking this episode. But in fun stuff, uh, you and I both got really into Loop Hero, like right after we recorded our last episode. And oh, um, that happened. Yeah, that just totally engulfed me, and I was I I had to like make myself stop playing it because <laughs> it just com I got completely obsessed. Yeah, that's amazing. But that game was a quick burn too. Like it, mm -hmm. it, there wasn't like a long obsession with it. It just it's it started firing and you went full throttle and then you burned out. Done. Yep. I'm really excited to see what kind of stuff they make for that. If any of you out there haven't looked at Loop Hero, it's like the weirdest blend of auto battler and roguelite and card game and tile placement and like it's really bizarre and it all just works. So. Yeah, it's a good game. If you ever want to to find a roguelike that's uh, kind of relaxing, um, check out Loop Hero. It's cool. Yeah. Other than that, um, most of us in the Discord have become really obsessed again with Monster Hunter World. This is my first foray into a Monster Hunter game. And as a vegan, I never thought I would really enjoy a game where you murder giant animals living in the woods and carve them up for their parts. But, you know, it's surprisingly fun. And you get these, isn't there these huge cutscenes where you get prepared meat platters oh and, yeah uh, even the vegetarian plate is basically just a meat plate yeah i ordered the veggie platter and it was like seven different animals on a plate <laughs> i was like the hell is this and i was like well there's like lettuce on the bottom i guess but grandma i'm vegan oh that's why i made so much sausage you know <laughs> lean sausage <laughs> what have you been doing man what have you been playing these days um, I have gotten into Disco Elysium, mm. which is kind of an RPG, and uh, it's 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 a trip. It's a piece of art, and it's amazing. I want to keep on playing. Someone asked me in the Discord the other day, um, they were asking about Disco Elysium. You were there for this conversation, and I think my favorite way to describe that game is that it is like 
it's like a real RPG, like an actual role-playing game. And that and that felt really good to me um, during my time with it. I didn't finish it, but I'm, I'm planning to go back um, now that they've put out this new big update that adds all of this voice acting and stuff that wasn't Absolutely. there before. Yeah. So, Another but, thing um, is that the art in the game is so intricate and amazing, and it almost feels like it's a piece of performance art because it, it's so off-putting yeah it's really yeah. awkward and like when when you're like not to go on a very long tangent about that game but like you know people in that game talk like people would talk right so like when the shitty kid in the neighborhood is like throwing rocks at this body you know he uses language that shitty kids would use and it was like very like startling to me i was like you could say that in a video game like you know and but it, it felt real and i really i really liked that that it felt authentic yeah strong game disco museum yeah. yeah i wanted to do a little little um excursion because i'm playing dnd today and it's april fool's day on the day we record this yeah and i I'm, i i have made up a little april fool's joke for my players and that is i want to tell them that having bad roles in an rpg always feels bad so i want to start to give them the chance in the rpg to get rid of these bad roles and and they can always now from whenever they are playing when, when they have a bad role they give that they get the chance for me to paypal me money and they get a chance to re-roll and i think i can pull it off well enough that they will at least believe me for like half an hour maybe <laughs> or at least be unsure if i am true about it what um, are you uh what are you going to tell them you're going to spend the money on uh, i i personal or, stuff <laughs> you're just gonna you're just gonna bank it you're not gonna roll it back in you're just like no pay your dm pay to win yeah i mean I, i'm the dm i should make some profit <laughs> this is do you know even tabletop games are look at this this dlc creep yeah, I've de- I've decided to become Matt Mercer for a living. And, <laughs> um, yeah. Well, uh, I would love to know how that turns out. Yes. And if they are fooled by your shenanigans, because that's glorious. Uh, oh, Want to start the episode? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you have for me today, man? Oh, wait, hold on. Wait, we should tell oh, people yeah. where to find us. <laughs> if someone would want to find us, where would they want to do it? Uh, could Where could they find us if they wanted to? First thing, we have an email address. Yes. Electronic mail. And you can type us an electronic mail and send us your thoughts, comments, suggestions, cool stuff you found, a picture of a weird rock in your driveway. I don't care. I'll look at it. Um, send me send me those rock pictures, please. Yeah, hot rock pictures. Whoa, that one's really got some strange patterns on it. Anyway, it's codexrexpodcast at gmail.com. Similarly, we have a Twitter, and our Twitter is codexrexpodcast at Twitter, right? Wow. Uh, I know, very exciting, very creative. Uh, I really enjoy our Twitter. Um, I'm the one who's been running that, and sometimes I poke (laughs) docs for ideas. Uh, my most recent acquisition that made me really happy was I found a commercial from the 90s where they were advertising Sonic Adventure and a stuffed Sonic gets ripped apart by crocodiles. That was a cool video. I love that. 
Um, but anyway, yeah, Codex Rex Podcast on Twitter. And then if you want to find me, uh, I'm just Vegan Tyler on Twitch, and I stream three days a week, and I would love if you pop by and said hello. Nice, thank you for summarizing that. You're welcome. Because I'm always unable to. Um... <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> All right, so hit me with the episode, man. I'm ready. Lay it on me. Today, we talk about something special to me. And we talk about something that had its 20-year anniversary uh, last month. This is a special episode because, you know, I am German. I am from Germany. But we have not yet talked about any games that originated in Germany. So this will be a first. Hmm. Small side note, I will be quoting developers. But I translated the quotes from German. Okay. So the, these are not the exact words, but the translated words. To understand the game we will talk about, we will have to talk about a certain part of Germany that we call the Ruhrgebiet. Americans, it's, it's, it's fine. Can you Ameri repeat that, please? <laughs> the Ruhrgebiet. And Ruhr is a river, and Gebiet means area. I just want you to know that as your American friend, my brain no work too gooder. And yeah. uh, I'm not going to be able to. You don't have that to say it. You just have to know. I will say that word a few times. <laughs> and if you can, it's a Ruhrgebiet. Whenever I say that, I mean that area of Germany. Sure. Just, <laughs> just so you know, like, I, like I do this this word, and I'm like, right, I will read, and you're like, what the fuck did he just say? <laughs> That's Thank an area you. in Germany. Thank you for doing and this for me. Americans would refer to it as the Ruhr area because the Ruhr is the river that flows through it, and the area is the area. Okay. It is. On a map, you will find the Ruhrgebiet in the west of Germany, within the state of North Rhine-Westphalia, which is one of the biggest states of Germany, and is named after the correspondent river. This area of Germany is known for one thing all over the country, and that's coal, steel, and heavy industry. It's like the industry sector in Germany that basically pulled the weight um, of everything that went into heavy industry for the most of the history of Germany. The area itself is so densely populated that the several cities within its borders could actually be considered, be considered a single city. Wow. But don't get caught claiming that because you'll be you'll know the wrath of the local rivalries, you know. Yeah, yes. someone's <laughs> gonna fight you over it. Yes. I think everybody knows that, that there's always city rivalries of cities that are close to each other. This episode mostly takes place in the city of Bochum which is a city in the Ruhrgebiet. And this isn't some rural German city in the middle of nowhere that nobody ever heard of. You have to remember that the Ruhrgebiet, in this area of Germany, you can drive through four cities that each have more than 300,000 citizens on a 30-mile on a stretch. Wow. <laughs> so it's it's big fucking city. It is. Wow. Okay. It's actually called a melting pot. And we start our journey with two dudes from the Ruhrgebiet. They are called Marcus Scheer and Frank Zimlinski. Marcus and Frank. Okay. Marcus, he's like an independent young businessman. And in between 1988 and 1992, he was a shareholder of a company called Starbite Software. Okay. 
Frank was a graphic designer that worked for Starbite. This small development company developed an impressive of 35 games in 10 years. And like, if you skim over the names, you can find all kinds of simulators, maybe some sort of like some sort of sport management thing or commerce simulation stuff like that. Simulating was kind of their deal, though you also find some RPG and puzzle tiles. Did they mainly produce for consoles, or were they making PC games, or those were Amiga games? Oh, they were for the Amiga. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Marcus and Frank didn't stick around for too long, though since the developer got caught up in some financial trouble and um, they left in 1992. Okay. The developer didn't go bankrupt, but they had to rearrange some stuff and Marcus decided to take the out and um, do something else with his ex- newly gained experience in the video game world. Same did Frank. So they left together. They, were, they must have been kind of like friends, even though I don't have a real source for that, but they, but they seem to stick together a lot. It might be important to mention that a certain development was taking place during this time, which is called the new economy. And you can kind of describe this as a switch from an old economy that produced physical products to a new economy that provides services, especially digital services. It was kind of the the digital revolution as we know it now has, has gone full throttle. This is like the early 90s. And Marcus was aware of this. And as a businessman, he wanted his share of this newfound land, of this new economy. And the technology he experienced with Starbite must have given him like kind of an idea. Because video games grab your attention, right? Yeah. They keep you stuck to the screen. So could this maybe be used for something else? What part of the economy is constantly fighting over people's attention? I mean, I suppose television. Yeah, television, the advertisement industry. Yeah. And this is why Marcus founded the Art Department Advertisement Agency. Being honest, his advertisement agency wasn't a full-blown development studio. It really was an advertisement agency. His friend, Frank, he wasn't a programmer. Frank was a graphic designer. And they could conceptualize and design games, but they mostly just functioned as overseers of studios that they would hire to develop their game ideas to program them. And I I guess there's no shame in that, right? They know their strength and they use them, right? And also they had a good idea of how games worked and what they wanted to do. They wanted to create simple but visually appealing games that could be used as advertisement for products. Okay. Uh, So we're we're talking like adver games. Like, I'm sorry, that's a a, a piece of lingo and thrown around there. So like, there's thought to be games that exist... And then in those games, there might be advertisements. And then there are some games that are created with the whole purpose of being an advertisement, like the 7-Up game that, from back then. Yeah, kind of like both. Okay. I, th- I think they create, what they did is they created a game and left space for company-related stuff to be put in. But some games they completely designed around a company's right. idea. Okay. I, I have some examples for you in a second. So what they did is they approached other advertisement agencies or even big companies and sold them on these ideas that they had. And they managed the development of a few games. A bunch of them were point-and-click adventures. One they did for the German telecom um, called the Telecommando Returns. Which, oh, my. But I, 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 I tried to look into what it's about. I don't know. You... Uh, it, it, I have I found more info on other games they did, but the, uh, the name is cool enough. 
And apparently they also did a game for the German Ministry of Interior. They commissioned them to create a game which would be called Dark Shades. And it's also point-and-click adventure. It's like a trilogy that's supposed to prevent young people from joining right-wing radicals or neo-Nazis. What? It's like a, it's, it's, it's like a political campaign thing. Huh. Um, it's called Dark Shades? Yeah, Dunkle Schatten in German. But okay. Dark Shades would be the right translation. Right. And this these games really got good. Like, I checked these games out. They got really good reviews. You play, like, a, in the first part, you play, like, a young man that helps rebuild the youth center and gets approached by neo-Nazis. And you have to, like, make make sure that these guys do not do any harm over the youth center and they don't take it over and stuff like that. Wow. That's, like, huh. Okay. And th these games got some decent reviews, especially because they they really tried hard to Im implement good youth language into the game, which also makes them rather funny today because mm -hmm. language has evolved and now it just feels weird. Yeah. You know, that's something interesting. Um sometimes I'll be reading like I'll be reading a book or something like a piece of fiction and um I can always tell when I'm reading an author trying to pretend like they know how young people speak and i'll you know i'll finish the book i'll do what i'm gonna do and then i go look them up and i'm like oh okay yep you're a you're a 60 year old dude and you haven't spoken to a teenager in a long time <laughs> yeah that happens fast right but apparently they yeah. did a good job on this game cool which is a rare sight as you yeah. as you claim marcus name is mostly connected to one certain advertisement game and it is the one advertisement game that every German of my generation knows. It's called Moorhuhn, which roughly translates to swamp chicken. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, yeah. what? Yeah, it's called like swamp chicken. And it, it was an advertisement game for the whiskey producer Johnny Walker. Shut up. Really? <laughs> Why it's, is it called swamp chicken? <laughs> because it's about chickens in a swamp. It really is. What the fuck does that have to do with whiskey? <laughs> Wait a second. It's it's this is no this is no April Fool's joke anything. This is true. It's basically an exact copy of the of the nineteen eighty four NES classic Duck Hunt. Do you know Duck Hunt? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So yeah. Duck Hunt, for those who don't know, uh, was bundled with the original. Like it was bundled in a lot of NES. Um, yeah. Like it came with like a dual. I still remember my uncle's copy. It was a dual uh, Mario Brothers and Duck Hunt. And I, I don't know if it came with the peripheral, though. Don't quote me on that. But it was just like everyone had Duck Hunt. It was everywhere. Um, it, it had that gun with it, right? The light gun? Yeah. Yeah. And it had like pixely graphics, but it was a cute game. And you were like in a swamp. It was a shoot 'em up game. And you would ducks would fly by and you would have to shoot them and get points for that and sometimes a dog would pop up and you were not allowed to shoot the dog that would give you yeah. negative points in this game they basically did a reskin of the entire game like frank did the design of a new like of this swamp chicken that looks rather cute and they they designed a little swamp that you can go through with your shotgun and shoot the swamp chickens what? and instead of the dog popping up a Johnny Walker bottle would pop up and you're not allowed to shoot it. But I just don't, like, I don't understand. Okay, so like Duck Hunt, right? Like it's trying to simulate in, you know, 80s style. You're going out with your gun 
to shoot ducks and you're pretending that you're a hunter, right? Yeah. Do people like what is the fucking connection behind Swamp Chicken and Johnny Walker and shooting Swamp Chickens? Like I don't I'm so confused. Like, is there like deep Johnny Walker lore where like they used to call the boss of J- Johnny Walker Swamp Chicken or some shit? Like, what, I have a, like, I have like a ahead. big suspicion about how this how they made this game and that they made this game beforehand, but left oh. in the advertisement space. And whoever bought it would be able to put in their product. This yeah. is just this is just an idea I have, but it looks like because the all the Johnny Walker pop-ups are made in such a way that you can that you could have put them in after you finished the entire game because it's just the bottle that pops up and I think there's right. something like in the beginning you have the logo of Johnny Walker like the big like they have this big boot yeah I have a relevant story so um I did some light research uh, my fiance wanted me to do at some point an episode on these adver games right it was like something I I made like a an outline on about how I would do it if I ever wanted to. And um, one of the ones I, I wanted to talk about, and maybe we will someday, was uh, have you ever heard of the Domino's advertising campaign Avoid the Noid? Do you know anything about this? No. Okay, I'll, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to totally hijack this for like a minute. Cool. So Domino's, Domino's is an American pizza company. Um, I won't get into the insanity of that company because it, it's nuts uh, when you really dig into them. But they decided that they were going to do this advertising campaign in the 80s or 80s, early 90s. I can't remember. And uh, basically, there was this creature called the Noid. And the Noid was this horrible little like gremlin monster that would come and it would make your pizza cold. Right. And so the idea was, is that they would they would come to you so quickly that they could avoid the noid, right? Avoid the noid. You don't want cold pizza. And this horrible little gremlin would come. And uh, they made a couple of video games based on the noid. And one of them, if I remember correctly, was like a full-fledged game that they made about the noid. And it actually sold like really well. And then when they wanted to make a follow-up, there was another game in a very similar situation. And it was like a skateboarding game or some shit. And they just totally reskinned it to be the Noid, and it's like completely nonsensical. And um, to put a cap on that story, why Domino's stopped using the Noid advertising and why they stopped making those games uh, is because this is a true story. There was a man who was um, mentally unwell, whose last name was Noid, and he thought that the advertising campaign was made to make fun of him. And he, uh, with some weaponry, took over a Domino's pizza. Um, nobody was hurt, and I think he was referred to like psychiatric services afterward. But it was like a bad look for them, and they completely dropped Noid altogether. Okay. <laughs> but my whole point to telling you that very long tangent was, is that companies will specifically, to add to this, seek out like pre-made games sometimes yeah. that they can just reskin like that. And it's very common. It, it takes away a bunch of the work um yeah because conceptualization takes a lot and swamp chicken it, it did look appealing it, it was a good reskin of the game it looked really nice and it sold really well it was really successful it's still one of the most successful the one of the best selling games in germany ever and it this says a lot about my country <laughs> i just i cannot get over swamp chicken like I'm just so happy. <laughs> yeah, I I know I played this game a lot. It was for the it was for the PC. 
Um, and for the there was a PS1 version of it too. There was a PS1 version of Swamp yeah, Chicken. There was a PS1 version of Swamp Chicken. Mohun, we can we can post something about that. We really should. Really I'm so fascinated. So yeah, uh, Germans <laughs> Germans really liked Swamp Chicken, and that was in 1999, so much later. But this was Marcus' big breakthrough <sighs> with his company was that huge deal with Johnny Walker that was really successful. Okay. One thing I must say about these advertisement games is that I remember a lot of them from the 90s. That was kind of a thing back then. I don't see it as much as obvious anymore. I don't know. Like, the, like I, I remember the Cornflakes producer Kellogg's. Mm -hmm. They had, they had a, a jump and run game that they added to their cereal. And I remember that I really enjoyed that game. It was a really good jump and run game. And I played that a lot. And I think Wait, like it came in the box? It came in the box. It was a CD oh, yeah. in the box. And you could play it. It was a big game. They, yeah. they spend money on that and time. And I know my brother had to help me get through it because it's rather difficult. Mm -hmm. um, or maybe I was really terrible at games. I don't know. Hard to say. This story isn't about advertisement games. And it isn't about Marcus. But it's about a decision that Marcus makes. Okay. Long before Morhun Swamp Chicken was released in 1999, Marcus decided that he wanted to diversify his company's approach into the gaming industry. His business idea was working well, and in 1994, he took over an actual developer of video games, Greenwood Entertainment. They were going to be Marcus Reach into the actual gaming world. Again, this is 1994, two years after he founded the art department at advertisement agency. Under Marcus' control, Greenwood, that already was a video game developer, keeps developing games. Mm -hmm. They've already been successful with, a, with again, commerce simulations. Like their biggest um, success was a game called The Planner, which is just, it's a, ga a game where you manage a truckage company, like a company that has trucks. Okay. And moves things around. A friend of mine knew this game and loved it. They talked about it a lot. I, I never was convinced about the concept, but I, I remember that commerce simulations were a huge part of the German PC game um, market in the 90s for some reason. Even though I find this really mind-boggling, especially if you come from the Ruhrgebiet, that is a place that consists of coal and trucks and industry so you can make a game about anything but no i live in an industrial hell so i make a game that also gives me more virtual industrial hell to make myself feel better and like the, like it's anti-escapism well i will say this so you and i have talked about like docs and i will sometimes have this conversation about games and i will send him a link to a game and i will say this looks like a Doc's game. And what I mean by that is that it works for Doc's brain, right? And I'll, I'll even say in like casual conversation, that doesn't work. that's not a Tyler brain game. That's a Doc's brain game. And the kind of games I'm talking about are programming games where you start like building something and you program commands to do things, right? And you do a lot of that in your normal life, right? And you're good at it. And so I think that, not to speak for you, but I think that some of the allure of those things is I have these skills that I'm good at and I'm going to use them on something that isn't work, right? Yeah, that's a good point. But what's your thought on that? And maybe not everybody runs a truckage company in, in real life. 
but in the game you can do it and you can do it successfully and you can retry the gaming world still gives you always gives you another chance that's which true the, which the real world never will right the problem is that this episode isn't about greenwood entertainment either <laughs> okay <laughs> it's about another thing swamp chicken too <laughs> no no it, <laughs> because they kept each game with its own pre-made shot of Johnny Walker, ready to go. Greenwood kept developing simulations. Football management simulations, more simulations where you run other kinds of companies, just simulations. And this episode is about what Greenwood did to their developers by making them program one simulation after another. Okay. And it, like, what, what it did to them. At Greenwood Entertainment, there was four young men working as, I guess, code monkeys um and their names are stefan newell michael hoge alex brüggemann and tom pitsky stefan michael alex and tom and they were friends they had been working at greenwood from 1993 to 1997 making simulation games and they were frustrated with the work that they were required to do and they had been talking about making something else for a while they dreamed of creating a game that they actually would like to play instead of a game that they hated. And this is a side of development that we have not really looked at too much because not every game designer is fulfilling his dream with the profession of a game de development. Designing a game involves so much work that a lot of coding and design is done by people that may not share this vision and like they don't, don't share the vision of the core team. Every individual we talked about always had a bunch of people working in the shadows. Mm -hmm. And these were maybe people that were not hyper-passionate about those protagonists' dreams, but were just making a living from coding and designing the things your bosses ask you to. And Stefan, Alex, Michael, and Tom, there were these people, backroom guys that might have joined the industry to, to, to fulfill their dream to become game designers, but it ended up being nothing but a slog, working for game managers that can't think of any other game concept than whatever they know already. They did nothing else but create games about running companies for people that were running companies. I can imagine that would get very boring. Yeah. So in 1997, Greenwood gets absorbed by Marcus Company. They fuse okay. together. And these four guys, they're like... Maybe we can take our chance now. We can do this. Let's create our own studio and make a game that's fun. So they had no way to finance this themselves. Um, so they did stick to Marcus for okay. financial support while they were trying to create their game. One could say that the game they would create was carried by some kind of conglomerate of companies that Marcus had collected under himself. They founded the Piranha Bytes GmbH. GmbH is the German shortcut for a limited liability company. And we could get into the legal technicalities of what that is, but this is not a, this is not a podcast about German civil law, so I'm not going to do that. Well, I will ask this. Uh, is, a, is a limited liability company similar to how in the United States... If you like incorporate your business as its own entity, if it fails, it doesn't come back on you as the owner, yeah, but it comes back the on the business of itself. Like you're yeah. putting a degree of legal separation between yourself and the business. Yes. So it doesn't take away all of your money if you fail. Okay. And what was the name of the LLC again? Piranha Bites. Which like piranha, the, the fish. Piranha. Piranha. 
Okay. In Germany, we it, say it, pira- piranha. Yeah. Well, you're saying it wrong. <laughs> okay. P- P- <laughs> I'm, I'm P- teasing. Yeah. Piranha bites. Okay. Yeah. Bite like the bite of the computer. The, the... Either way. Yeah. Piranha is how we would say it. But if you say if you say it like that, I'll I'll follow. <laughs> you, you can. You can. <laughs> um. So let's. <laughs> maybe, let's... maybe I'm the one who's wrong. <laughs> It doesn't matter. Words words only have meaning to people if we ascribe yes. them meaning. So whatever. <laughs> so, so kind of you. <laughs> <laughs> whatever. So, so let's hear a translated quote from Stefan about what the game was supposed to be. So, I'm so sorry if I sound demeaning to you here. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not demeaning. You're just a general dick about things. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Say piranha for me. <laughs> I, it's you know it's okay continue i'm sorry <laughs> you cannot, he cannot say it he cannot say piranha piranha is that yeah. how you say it yeah okay good, good job welcome to german class <laughs> oh i'm failing i'm failing already <laughs> so let's hear a quote from stefan newell one of the developers um but what the game was supposed to be yeah we were tired of the classic rpg game and wanted to create one that works without statistics and mountains of numbers. Everything should be directly visualized within the game. The worn equipment, the learned skills, the daytime, the relation of the NPCs towards your character, even though the, the gothic games might feel dusty nowadays, back then these concepts were entirely new. And gothic was going to be the name of the game. Okay. Have you ever heard of that title? I can't think of anything i've played or seen with that there's a re- there's a reason for that why you never heard of it and we're going to get into it later okay. you will you will know so not only did they want to reinvent the digital rpg but they wanted to escape the simulation madness and reach into a world that they were not allowed to explore before originally their plan was to finish the game by 1999 so they were, gave themselves 2 years of development okay and do and dude they had ambitions The original plans for this game were insane. They envisioned a ton of things. They wanted a fully 3D RPG set in a huge world with a non-linear story. On top of that, they wanted multiplayer capability while using their own engine, music, designs, and story with cool cinematic cutscenes. Just to reiterate, this is 1997, and they were planning to release in 1999. This game was supposed to be on par with Morrowind. Do you know when Morrowind released? I don't know when Morrowind released, actually. In 2002. Oh, really? Far far later, yes. But instead of Bethesda Softworks, loads of filthy American money, (laughs) they had to get by with a few lousy German marks. Of course. So I have a question. So is this like... This seems almost like like a precursor to an MMO or something, right? So like how... In this idea of how they'd have like multiplayer... Did they say anything about what that intended? Like, are, is this a computer game? Are they trying to do this with, like, consoles? Because, like, internet on consoles at the time was very limited. They wanted to make this a computer game, a PC game. Okay. They were designing for PC. And their ideas, like, we would get into how badly they crashed mm-hmm. with their ambitions. Of course. But it did not turn out to be a multiplayer game in the end. I can say so much. Oof. So... It, it it's not even close to what an MMO would be. <laughs> yeah, it uh, it didn't turn out to be a multiplayer game. It didn't even turn out to be a single player game. 
<laughs> it's a zero-player game. This you can't experience. You it. just run it, it just lives... on your computer in the background, and you go, "Ah, yes, yeah. that's a good game that's running. I wish mm, I could nice. play it." Mm. He hear that wheezing sound. That's my PC not being able to take care of it because it's so badly optimized. <laughs> Can't even play it. Though. You know you're winning if your graphics card burns out. <laughs> it's a good game, though. <laughs> we will we will see. It will turn out to be a fine game, cool. but they they were overambitious. According to Stefan Newell, after creating a demo for the game, they visited every office of every international publisher all over the country just to get a contract and a publishing deal mm-hmm. because they needed money. And here's how it went, according to Stefan. All of them thought our demo was great, but they just couldn't decide. I do think that those publishers all realized before we did that we greatly underestimated the size of our project. We also didn't have any track record. Mm. None of us could prove that we designed a game of this size before. This is a great risk for a publisher. Yeah, I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah. yeah. In the end, they did struck a deal with a small publisher called Egmont Interactive, and they met at the Frankfurt Book Fair. If you don't know about the Frankfurt Book Fair, it's one of the biggest book fairs in the world. And if you ever come to Germany at the time, I recommend going to it. It's a nice, it's a really cool um, place to be. That sounds really, that sounds lovely. Yeah. Apparently, they were trying to get a running start into the gaming industry, like Egmont Interactive. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, like a risky raw diamond, like Piranha Bites, Piranha Bites, <laughs> um, and the game Gothic um, was just just the thing they were looking for. Yeah, they Piranha Bites didn't actually start out as four people, but also had the help of three trainee university students. And even though these three students refuse to be part of the fa- of the founding of the company, Stefan Newell tries to make sure that he considers these guys as part of the original Gothic crew. Oh, that's really nice. So, yeah. According to him, they did most of the heavy lifting if it comes to programming in the first half of the project. These three students created the entire game engine called the Zen-Gin. Zen, like in the... the um, East Asian concept right. of Buddhism. Okay, so Zenjin. Zenjin, yes. Zenjin sounds like a boss character in a Final Fantasy. Well, that makes sense, yeah. Yeah, I see that. This happened while the four core developers were taking care of the models, the animation, publisher, deals, and the story. Creating a game of this size quickly turned out to be tough to manage, and their pretty chaotic approach within these tiny offices didn't do them any good mm-hmm. like they were they, they they were not an organized team that was highly structured these were friends hanging out in an apartment programming and it probably was pretty filthy <laughs> <laughs> if if i know anything about gaming offices of friends they're disgusting i will never uh forget when we did the crash bandicoot episode the visual of them throwing burgers on the ground for the dog to eat as it was just like covered in dirt and filth like forever sticks out to me. Yeah. The, the work atmosphere in the first two years of development until 1999 must have been very crowded. But apparently also it also was like friends hanging out all day on an endless coding party instead of 
progress report meetings, they just slammed a few beers in the evening while talking about what needs to get done. All of this changed in 1999. Money turned into a serious problem, but they were able to become a full subsidiary of their old boss, Marcus Scheer. Okay. Um, Marcus' company, Art Department, changed its name after fusing with Greenwood and the entire team of studios and agencies parented by Marcus decided to turn into a corporation to gain capital from being represented on the stock market. Okay. Um, the parent company was called Fino Media now. They, they, they capitalized on, on their stocks now, right. which gave them a boost of money. This gave the Piranha Bytes guys a boost of money too, um, that they really needed because they needed more programmers. They were just seven people. Yeah. And during one part of the development, there were 40 people. Uh, wow. like they hired up to 33 people just to make progress on Gothic. And these were, they, they weren't just hired for the company. Many of these guys were freelancers. Mm -hmm. In some interviews, they describe it as like a weird kind of friend group where everybody would know someone that you could call for certain problems. Mm -hmm. And it was this huge spider web hmm. that whenever they ran into a problem, there were so many people that they always knew to call someone that was good with solving these kinds of problems. And it was so turned out to be such an intricate, chaotic thing that the amount of people they had was, was really big. But they had like an ex ex experts for all kinds of things. Right. But they did feel like sardines in a can mm -hmm. because it was still crowded. Luckily, though, their closer connection to Marcus now gave them the ability to m move from their filthy, improvised, semi-private offices into the Fino Media building. Because Marcus, he's a businessman. He's not a programmer. And, and he has office space. Mm -hmm. And the Piranha Bytes guys, though, were the exact opposite of those businessmen from Fino Media because it wasn't just Marcus. He had a bunch of employees. Apparently, there was complaints from the fancy Fino Media employees because the guys from Piranha Bytes did not stick to standard of any standard of business attire. And they, they came to work unshaved with slippers. <laughs> Uh, that was the Piranha Bytes standard for dressing up for work. Of course. It was like not dressing up for work. They were truly revolting <laughs> against their old overlords and while also being completely fine with accepting their money. <laughs> I, thought, I thought for a second you were going to say that they were revolting as in like their appearance, right? Like, Disgusting. Like no, just I, I just meant in... Re re revolting against yeah. because they they've been working with these people for a long time sure. even before piranha bites and this must be some kind of psychological defense mechanism that all of a sudden they just refuse to stick to any standard of civil behavior i don't know <laughs> well i would say there's something to be said for like i don't know following your own style so um yeah and like not losing that little bit of your like your internal, I don't know, enjoyment. Uh, I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, when I'm required to like dress up for a meeting or I have to teach class or I have a very important ex academic thing I have to do, uh, I will try to sneak in very subtle things of my own style. So I've started buying all of these like really high quality socks that have like very flashy patterns, but when you look no. closely, they're like a Triforce, right? Or like my lapel pin will be like 
you know, the Hamlet pin or something out of Darkest Dungeon. And then I sort of feel like I'm beating, <laughs> like I'm beating the system, right? Like, like I could still yeah. look fancy and follow your rules, but like, I'm going to, I'm going to bring just a little bit of my geek cred. Yeah, that's really cool. I do that too. But um, the Piranha Bytes approach wasn't as subtle as yours. <laughs> um. <laughs> They're just like, fuck it, I'll wear what I want. <laughs> But they also, in some interviews, they also claim that there also was a back entrance to the house, so they didn't always have to play the whole confrontation game about right. it. Their chaotic approach to development worked fine for them until they started relying on Phenomedia as much, which, as we know, as a corporation involved in the stock market, um, would require them to make progress reports all of a sudden, mm -hmm. and they would have to provide documentation, projections for the foreseeable future. They, so they could calculate the risk of the whole thing. This was not how Piranha Bytes worked. Of course. Until now. It was another challenge for the team on top of being completely overwhelmed with the goals that they set for themselves. It's 1999 already, and they wanted to release that year, right? But they were not even close to finished game. Uh-oh. Another problem was that they did not only have to convince their parent company, Phenomedia, but also their publisher, Eggman Interactive, which was a different company. During development, they were able to push the release incrementally, which guaranteed them more time and funding, because apparently they were really good at convincing their publisher that this game deserves more time. Mm. So at least they got that done, right? right? Until now, we did talk a lot about the process and the coding, but not about the game itself. So let's do that a bit. Again. I was just about to say, I think um, I have no idea what this game actually is. <laughs> so if you could give me some, like something RPG called Gothic is all I've got from that. So we're, we're going to go into that. Now. All right, hit me with it. So let's, let's first, let's talk inspiration for the game. Where did they get the inspiration from? One day we will talk about a developer called Origin Systems okay. and especially the Ultima series. Ultima series is a role-playing series um, that was published by EA. Oh. And in most interviews, the Piranha Bytes devs claim that the general feeling of Ultima was one of their inspirations for the game. The Ultima games shined through their intricate world design that gave the player the chance to explore different nooks and unique parts of the game every time you started it up. Was there a version of that called Ultima Online? Am I, am I yeah. thinking of? I think that's my only... One of the most successful online MMO. RPGs. I knew someone who played made. it, but I don't. I've, I've not had any personal experience. Highly addicting uh, online role-playing game. Did you play it? That's. I think it's still played. No, but I knew friends that lost their life to, to that game, <laughs> and they were never <laughs> seen again. Figuratively, <laughs> <laughs> they wanted to create something as intricate as Ultima, while, as we discussed already, getting rid of all these confusing numbers. Mm -hmm. If you check out the graphics of Ultima Nine which was released in 1999 and was the first 3D Ultima, the design really is a precursor of those 3D RPGs that would release in the early 2000s. Mm, okay. In some interviews, they also claim that they drew inspiration from pen and paper RPG role-playing games, which I guess would either have, have been Dungeons & Dragons or, at least in Germany, the more common game The Dark Eye which is the most common pen and paper game in Germany. Have we spoken about this on the podcast before? We might have. Um, Maybe, if we yeah. haven't, I know you and I have spoken about it. Um, off 
yeah. off the podcast. It's a German pen and paper rule set that also was published in the US by now. It's called The Dark Eye. Right. Uh, it's set in a different world. It has slightly different rules. It's a good game. Funny enough, another inspiration for them, and that kind of stuck me, was that they really love that one Carpenter movie, Escape from New York. Oh, yeah. With with Kurt Russell. Uh-huh. Where, as always, Kurt Russell plays this silent, badass <laughs> hero called Snake. He's got the eye patch, right? <laughs> yeah. And he gets thrown into New York, which is a prison island now. And because the president of the United States crashed in in New York and he has to kind of save him from evil convicts. <laughs> of course. Of course. <laughs> so it's hilarious. It's the most 90s movie um, ever. <laughs> and it does actually kind of resemble the plot of Gothic, which is pretty cool. <laughs> what? <laughs> Yes, it does. Now, I, only because I, I saw it, I was like, look, this is similar. Um, so what was Gothic going to be about? The general idea is kind of similar to that of the Elder Scrolls games. Okay. And in that, you start out as this anonymous prisoner, and you get thrown into the setting. And you are generally referred to as the nameless hero. Mm. You don't have a name. In Elder Scrolls, though, the setting usually is some open world to explore, and because you get out of prison. In Gothic... You explore the prison. Oh, okay. Because it's not just any prison. It's a mining colony that is surrounded by a semi-permeable magical field, which means you can go in, Uh but you can't go out. Interesting. Okay. They took a very different approach to the controls than other role-playing games, because most actions you do with macros instead of clicking everything, which causes the game to not rely on your mouse as heavily as most adventure RPGs do. Especially from the time, um, the Elder Scrolls game are too click-fast. Play any modern RPG, just try to focus on how much you have to use your mouse to do anything. Mm-hmm. And they, they really try to prevent that and, and not do that. And they did a good job with it. It's this also, though, because we are used to using the mouse in RPGs so much, this causes the game to be hard to play if you're used to normal RPG controls. Mm-hmm. Because all of a sudden you have these smart controls and you for a second you have to, to figure them out. And it's like, why is this like this? Please let me click everything. And it just won't let you. So plot um, wise, let me see if I can review here. So you are a prisoner and you're exploring a mining colony uh, and there's a magical barrier. So is this mining colony like a fantasy mining colony or are we talking like sci-fi mining colony? It's a fantasy setting, and outside of the mining colony, there's a war going on, waged by a king against the orcs and the entire world. And the king needs swords for his war. Mm. And to get his swords, he requires the metal from the mining colony. So he made this magical barrier around it to force everyone within the mining colony to do his work. But as soon as the barrier was up, there was a revolution in in the camp, and now the prison camp is under control of the prisoners. So the king has to get resources into the camp so the prisoners get the bring the metal out of the camp okay um this is the general gist of what's happening and within the camp there's several factions it's like a little open world there's one part of the game that is probably mostly responsible for how much their schedule derailed and that is that the entire story is ultra non-linear with 
Within the prison colony, you can join three different factions, and within these factions, you can again cause many different outcomes okay. for how the plot plays out. Like in my last playthrough, I encountered shit that I didn't run across when I played it as a teenager. Uh, it's a big game. And writing this kind of non-linear branching plot must look really cool in your mind, mm -hmm. but it's like hell during development. Right. There's like story relics within the game that just they were not able to finish you, you come across stuff like a, a quest mm -hmm. and it just doesn't go on because they they ran out of time i don't want to spoil too much about the story because it's really neat but you're basically this nameless guy that has to make a name in this colony and you get quests depending on where you go right. that can be very different but let's say if you ever feel the need to encounter what german humor is you, gothic is what you're looking for there's no endless dialogues no bullshit exposition that keeps you from progressing it's just straightforward effective information <laughs> exchange you don't like an npc just tell them that you're going to punch them in the mouth an npc is being pushy about you doing your job just say what do you think i'm doing swinging my balls I, I could go on for hours about the NPC interactions in this game from gaining people's trust by turning into the prison camp's weed dealer. What? Uh, yes, seriously. There's like a faction that does nothing else but make a living from selling weed. And it's super amazing. You get experience points from smoking pot. Okay. Um, you do in real life, life too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> all NP all NPCs, like most NPCs you can convince to help you out by just giving them beer. Like whenever you meet them and they're like, oh fuck you, I'm not gonna help you. And then here's a beer. And all of a sudden they're your friend and wanna hang out with you. It's amazing. I mean it's, it's Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. This game uh, sounds awesome. It's it's a pretty refreshing world mm -hmm. uh because it doesn't feel I, I don't know, I would say it, it doesn't feel as much up its own ass yeah it sounds like it doesn't take itself seriously no not at all it's it's like i would say that the german voice acting is the most hilarious thing that you can imagine <laughs> but the english voice acting is okay too and they, they did a good job on uh portraying the roughness of the german ruhrgebiet grant mm -hmm. that works in the mining colony and it's really it's really funny it's a nice little world i recommend exploring it this game was unique for its time. Graphically, it was on par with the big American studios. Right. Like Bethesda Softworks was working on Morrowind at the time, which has a similar design. The graphics look similar. In the time Birania Bytes created Gothic, Square Enix squeezed out, like in the time that Birania Bytes took just to make Gothic, uh -huh. Square Enix made four Final Fantasy games. Seven, eight, nine, and ten. These Shut guys are up. insane. <laughs> One game each year. Dude, look, just, just for realize. the time, if you, if you compare the graphics of the Square Enix games to any other 3D game of the time, dude, these guys were technologically advanced. Mm -hmm. It's insane. But Gothic could compete with a behemoth like that. That's crazy. They were, they were not completely away from what they were able to do. I guess I never realized that Final Fantasies came out like every year. Dude, yeah. How did they do that? Uh, massive uh, amounts of mass money. massive amounts of money i guess right yeah basically and, and dominating the industry for a while 
Yeah, and that's what goth, the gothic developers didn't have. They didn't have the expertise, and they didn't have the money to do that. They would, a Germ, there was no German gaming industry. Right. There was the stuff that they did before, but that wasn't a big market. That was a niche. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty hard to compete with Swamp Chicken, you know? Like, Swamp Chicken yeah, had really just... Oof, Swallowed the market, dude. Yeah, and you know, the German video game market has never recovered from Swamp Chicken. And I should know yeah. because I'm an American. And I know. <laughs> but because their, tech, their, their design was able to compete with the big studios, right. they were able to keep pushing Eggman Interactive to, to give them later and later release dates. So they were able to push the release date from 1999 to 2001. Two years. Two years more time. Which still wasn't enough. But they couldn't push it more. <laughs> I'm sure you're, you eventually hit a deadline where you're like, we're out of time. At some point, Eggman Interactive stopped agreeing to give them more money, stopped agreeing to give them more time. Mm -hmm. But Gothic wasn't done. Some of the factions went through several reworks, implementing every single story branch completely overwhelmed the development crew. This small project of four dudes had turned into this massive clusterfuck that they totally lost control over. But they themselves claim that they just couldn't stop adding new side plots and mini quests to fill that tiny mining colony with life. They just kept pouring more work into the company. They had to ditch a bunch of their plans. Some incomplete things you will actually notice in the game. Like, there was supposed to be this whole mechanic about pushing over logs over canyons so you could cross them. Okay. And you can still find the logs in the game that have not been pushed over yet. Mm -hmm. But there's no mechanic to push them. They just, they, just, they just awkwardly sit on the side of huge crevasses being like, I look like I could be pushed over. <laughs> Know what? You can't. <laughs> That's subverting <laughs> expectations. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. I, I remember when I played it for the first time, I kept walking around that thing like, what do I have to do? What do I have to click? And it took me a long time before I was like in some gothic forum post mm -hmm. where there's just like a dude, yeah, they wanted to implement that but didn't. <laughs> That's painful. <laughs> can't push it over. Nope. Multiplayer didn't make it into the game. There was prototype versions of it, didn't work out. Cutscenes, just hyper short and blurry in-game graphics, mm -hmm. kind of recorded with a no-clip camera. Some side quests are just dead ends because they just ran out of time. Let's see a quote from Michael Hoge, Michael Hoge, one of the developers. It's never enough. Apart from that, I think Gothic could have used more polishing in the camp's dialogues during the last parts of the game. People were still talking the same crap as they were doing in the beginning of the game, and the hero could pick up choices like, Hi, I'm new here, in the sixth chapter. That was crap. And they, were, they kept running into things where they were like, This is inconsistent, we have to work this over too, but uh, we can't. this will be so much work. And they just couldn't do it. They were forced to release, even though they were unhappy with so many details of the game. They released in March 2001. Okay. They had to go into a hard crunch to make it playable at all. All of their perfectionism came crashing down on them. I, I guess I guess if you have a vision, yeah. of, of course you will try to get as close to it as possible. But the game, it turned out pretty buggy on release. So how did it sell? There's no real numbers for that. They keep them secret. 
they don't they don't comment on the actual numbers the only sources on sales we have is that they made less money than they spent okay and this this isn't the worst part in 2001 and 2002 three things would happen endangering the future of piranha bites entirely and especially the gothic franchise first they release in march but in september their publisher decides to downsize heavily Uh-oh. and they, they did organize the european release beforehand but just backed out of any commitments to support an american release or the publishing of the dlc that the, the piranha bites guys were already thinking about hmm. okay second to diminish this failure of not being able to publish in the u.s they struck a deal with another small publisher to take care of the American sales. It was such a small publisher, they just couldn't do it. They failed. They hired them and it didn't work out. So this is why the Americas never saw an area-wide release. The game is literally unknown in the US. And third, and definitely the worst, remember Marcus from the beginning, right? Marcus here, the boss of this entire corporation. So Phenomedia apparently was one of the most successful up-and-coming companies in Germany, like the biggest representative of the new economy, the proud child of German computer engineering or something. They they were really doing really well in the stock market because of their amazing financial statements they put out every year. Turns out those financial statements were all made up. Mm, Okay. That sounds like the 90s. Yeah. (laughs) They had to declare bankruptcy in 2002. Oh, boy. And gone with everything Piranha Bytes was based on. The Gothic series was basically coming to an end if they didn't take the chance for a management buyout mm-hmm. and turn it to their own company, which they did. They called it the Pluto 13 GmbH and continued making the, the Gothic series. Their original plan was to make... To put out a DLC to fix bugs, to, to to put all the things in that they weren't able to do. But the company at some point decided this DLC is getting out of hand again. And we will turn this in its into its own game. Oh, okay. So this is how Gothic 2 was created. Um, Gothic, 2, Gothic 2 came out only one year later and it turned out really well. Gothic 2 is the most well received of the gothic titles and it basically i think we we've we've experienced this before a few times that whenever like game studios put out their first game there's always a bunch of stuff that they wanted to do Mm -hmm. but that they then only could do in the second part which is why second parts in the gaming industry at that time very often turn out better than the first part i mean look at diablo right yeah people don't talk about like oh shit Diablo 1 was the greatest thing in the world, even though it was at the time. They talk, still look back at Diablo 2, you know, uh, because it, it sort of perfected. I mean, this is my opinion, but it sort of perfected that, you know, that play style. And that's, you could, you could make that argument for everything we've basically talked about on here. Yeah, Sonic, Crash Bandicoot. Guitar Hero, it's all there. Lots of second games that all of a sudden had the chance to include things that didn't make it to the original game. Yeah. This also caused this game to be much more successful. And they actually made a profit from it. Such a profit that they were not in the negative anymore from Gothic 1. Okay, so they like they recoup their losses from the creation of the first game. Yes. So how did 
how did we end up? We have these guys that wanted to escape the slog of their hometown, their home area, the boredom of corporate simulation, the endless depiction of the Ruhrgebiet industrial culture with, with simulation. But what did they actually end up doing? They created a world that is a melting pot of mining people that talk like, like the toughest macho dudes that you would only encounter in a mining town that they actually lived in. And I think a friend of mine put it well, that Gothic is just the perfect example of the macho fantasy of a young man growing up in a mining town. Hmm. And, and in the end, these guys were not able to escape their hometown and escape their origin. They dived back into it, but just took a different approach to finding their identity. Side note, there is no women in the game. All, all characters are male, really? except for like five slaves you encounter. Huh, okay. And the only voice line they have is, you're not allowed to talk to us. <laughs> <laughs> that really is the male fantasy. <laughs> it truly is. I'm not allowed to talk Some to girls. <laughs> but it's a, it's a fun original RPG that lets you explore a really cool world. If you want to play the game, it's available on Steam. Really? Um, yeah, there's a huge modding community for it, still working on the game. And by now, the rights for the Gothic series that saw f um, few but far less successful sequels after the second part have ended up with THQ Nordic. Oh, interesting. And yeah, they're currently working on a remake of the first part. Um, side note, a few days, like yesterday, there was it was April Fool's. And they put out a statement that the Gothic remake would feature a store that would give you the chance to purchase weapons and skins for in-game currency and the in-game currency you can buy with real money. And this this immediately triggered me. Like, what the fuck are they doing to my lovely girl? What's the problem? I'm not making an episode about this crap anymore. And it took me a while to realize which day it was. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They they, they 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 set it up real well too. Like there were, it looked like the in-game store from Fallout seventy six. Oh man! So, so it gives you instant PTSD from the madness that Bethesda pulled off, and it was a good show. Why do we still do April Fools? Like, I, I don't know. Does does anyone get any enjoyment out of April Fools anymore? Like, I, I just have to be like triple skeptical of the internet for like this period of time yeah it's weird right i don't know well that's cool so i'm assuming that i could like can i play this outside of germany it looks like from what i can see i can yes, pull it up can. on steam so uh i guess they eventually released it i would recommend playing gothic one and two only play these games if you are into into games like morrowind there will not be quest markers there will the only way you know what to do is by reading the quests and exploring the world, and it's really rough to get into if you are used to current RPGs. So you will have to be patient with the game. But then it will turn into something pretty funny and pretty enjoyable. Huh. Yeah, I'm looking I'm looking at some pictures here now. I'm just on Steam, and it really kind of looks like Morrowind. It does, right? Yeah, it has it the graphics of most 3D RPGs of the time yeah. that had this open-world approach. It, it Yeah, how interesting. That's really cool. Um, I have some sources I would like to share, but first let's, let's like, what do you think let's of debrief. this? I appreciate you talking to me about something that I have no idea about. <laughs> like, I've never, yeah. I've never heard of this. You know, it, it apparently didn't release in the United States. This whole time I'm like, 
oh, he's going to tell me that it's really the precursor to whatever. And like, I'm kind of glad that it isn't. I'm kind of glad that it's like its own thing. And it's this game series I've never heard of. It absolutely is the precursor of serious German game development because the Gothic title was the first serious German game. Before that, there was only Swamp Chicken and Weird Commerce simulations. And after that came the big German game releases. As you know, Crytek is a German company mm -hmm. based in Frankfurt that put out a lot of really big games, but that was afterwards. And Gothic opened the doors for the German economy, for people to understand that this, for businessmen that have money, that this is a serious business and this can be profitable and this is good to invest money in. That's really interesting to me because, you know, when you look at other countries um, who had like large video game industries, you know, I think, you know, the US industry goes way back, right? Like way, way back. And so it's really fascinating to me to think that there wasn't really a big market for games in Germany until something like this hit. That's fascinating to me because I, I think of I think of these industries as being much older in my mind because I, I have my skewed perspective here. The market did exist, but it was controlled by the British and American and Japanese publishers, which which was who you had to approach if you wanted to sell your games. Right. And this was the the first the first big break of German publishers that that could got into this. It's really neat. Can I add so, yeah. something so, that is related but not related? Yeah. I wanted to know what the fuck Swamp Chicken was. It's killing me. Okay, so while we were talking, I googled Swamp Chicken Game. And I, if I pulled it up, okay, the common moorhen, also known as the water hen or swamp chicken, is a bird species in the rail family. And the rail family is like a family of birds. It is distributed across many parts of the old world, and it lives around well-vegetated marshes, ponds, canals, and other wetlands. So it all makes sense to me now, right? It's an, it's an actual creature. It's a creature, yeah, right? right? Like this whole time I'm like, the fuck is a swamp chicken, right? And and it's a I gave you the, I sent you the Wikipedia article for the actual actual game. There is like so many spin-offs of the game. Like there is a swamp chicken racing game where there's swamp chickens <laughs> sitting in cars going over racetracks. Shut it's the fuck called, up. It's it's called it's actually called Swamp Chicken Cart. Like swamp Cart. Chicken Cart. <laughs> yes. You should have led with that. <laughs> You've been saving Swamp Chicken Cart for the end of the episode, dogs. Wait, 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 wait. There's a there's a mahjong version of it. A swamp Chicken Mahjong. What? <laughs> you really there's a, there's a swamp chicken labyrinth game where you have to get out of a maze to find secrets it's like swamp chicken indiana jones <laughs> are you fucking with me there's a swamp chicken fighting game like a beat em up where you have to make swamp chickens fight each other <laughs> it's a huge game. you sent me this this page this is on wikipedia it's it, to spell it for all of you, M O O R H U H N, and I thought he was fucking with me, but there seriously is like thirty Swamp Chicken PC games. Like, there's a game called Moorhoon Knights and Castles. <laughs> it's a strategy game, <laughs> like an RTS strategy game. <laughs> <laughs> 
This is the most successful, one of the most successful video game franchises that ever existed in Germany. This is no bullshit. This is, this is a true thing. And nobody outside of Germany, just this year, there was a new Mohun Kart game released. You can race. My jaw is on the fucking ground. <laughs> like, apparently it was called Crazy Chicken in English. Or sometimes Chicken Hunter. <laughs> Mor Morhoon Atlantis. Morhoon Tiger and Chicken. What? <laughs> Morhoon Camera X. <laughs> like, who the fuck are they game. games? Morhoon Pinball. It's still published. The, the rights are still with Frank. And he's still coming up with most of these ideas and there's a soccer game from Wahoon 2 like all kinds of there's a pirate game that you can also play there's all kinds of does, does Frank play. literally sit around in his house with like a fucking hat and he just he just threw a bunch of genres in there and he's like alright swamp chicken pirate battle racing game in space alright push it out on mobile platforms alright we gotta get that swamp chicken revenue new coming in i do you what the fuck? do you want your do you want your very own swamp chicken episode we can do that if you want <laughs> only talk about swamp chicken you know what i'm okay with the mystique of swamp chicken being what it is forever i will think of germany as the land of swamp chicken when yes. i come to visit you someday i'm just gonna walk up i'm just gonna walk up to people on the street and ask them their opinion of swamp chicken there's a tv series there's a fucking tv series for real <laughs> Crazy chicken director's cut. <laughs> so, what, what is the TV series? We're learning in real time. You get to listen to it's, two men in their 30s be really excited about it's it's, tw it's 26 one minute cartoons where there's a swamp chicken and apparently it has a like the the person that dubbed the chicken is named here, even though the chicken doesn't even talk. It just makes chicken noises. <laughs> and and like the Fino Media, the companies that exist after its bankruptcy, they they are now making a movie. No. No. Yes. The, uh, They're making the a planning. swamp chicken movie. There's a swamp chicken movie coming up. When? It's the next foreign Oscar. That's gonna go to Germany. When does this release? Do you know? It does not say yet. <laughs> I just I'm I'm so blown away. <laughs> I don't know what to say here. How do we go up from here? How do we how do we move forward? There was a single for the Morhoon games no. <laughs> that was on the twenty first spot of the no. of the charts. <laughs> Why? For ten for ten weeks. In the year 2000. Just, okay, okay, sure. Shit's crazy, I guess, <laughs> whatever. I mean, I guess there was like, you know, I guess I'm not, I shouldn't be that surprised. Like, do you remember okay. when Angry Birds was everywhere and it was just everywhere and it, you could not escape it? This is, this. that's the category I'm putting this into. Yeah, just that we Germans, we don't get over it. I was going to say, it's just no. that you do it for like 30 years. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much okay. for this. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, I hope you enjoyed the episode. I did, and I want to go check out Gothic, man. Um, this this totally seems up my alley. I'm, it's cool. It's a bit wonky, but I recommend checking it out. Well, I think you know me enough at this point, and listeners probably know me enough at this point to that I'm I'm really fascinated by 
this transition to 3D gaming and how like no. just you know you look I when I look at this like my brain is like oh the graphics are so painful but like at the time man like it was so fucking cool so yeah absolutely let me give you three sources real quick sure I used one big interview with Michael Hogan talking about the gothic series in an interview with gothic modders that were able to ask him questions in a forum um, an article from um, March um, 2021 where Florian Sand talks about the history of the game for the online magazine Superlevel and an interview with Stefan Newell, one of the developers in, um, that he gave for the fan page World of Gothic. Nice. Well, thanks for this, man. This was fun. You're welcome. And for everybody that's listening, thank you for hanging out. And always, we appreciate you. Yeah. And as always, we hope that you stay healthy and have a good day yeah and also i'll just say real quick i love hearing your feedback uh good or bad um we really enjoy hearing from you so don't be afraid to reach out if you have something to say so yeah if you ever know anything cool about games that you wanna um that you that you, that you can add to our episodes yeah or maybe an idea of an episode that you want to want to hear about from our perspective we'll always ha- we're always happy to to communicate with you and um get some stuff working that you want to hear yeah All right. Well, thanks, everybody. Stay safe out there and have a good one. Bye.